Hey now, my name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail podcast. This podcast is not a one-size-fits-all template. I like to mix up the topics from the latest news, politics, federal, state, and local government, business, and entrepreneurship. And I love to feature people whom I find genuinely compelling and fascinating. Yes, it's a Maryland-based podcast, but oftentimes I like to cover issues outside of Maryland that may go unreported. My hope is that this podcast is an exploration of the truth. It's a platform where all is welcome and no conversation is off limits. And as my last name reminds me, the minor details of every story matter. For the latest episodes and to subscribe, please visit a aminordetailpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoy the show. It's Friday afternoon, June 7th. We are in Poolsville, a small town a, in upper Montgomery County. It, gets, it doesn't get en- as enough play as I like to, to see, but uh, I love coming up here. And the reason why I am in Poolsville today, I had the distinct pleasure to interview Montgomery County Councilman Andrew Friedson. We are at a small local business called Bassett's, and it's a restaurant. And Andrew is carefully moving his silverware so he, he doesn't make much noise. Andrew Friedson, of course, was just first elected in 2018 in the fall. I believe, Andrew, you're the youngest councilman ever elected. That's, and right. that's exciting. Yeah. How's that? Do they call you the baby of the council? Uh, I, I've been referred to as the student member of the <laughs> It's like the student member of the, the Board of Education. Tend to be uh, there early, and I tend to stay late. And I have a, a bright red backpack that I keep all the <laughs> documents in <laughs> carefully, and my laptop. And so when I come into the council office with my backpack on, I guess I'm. Like, so <laughs> well, welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. And what I wanted to do today is, as we usually do, is just have a free flowing conversation about the last six months that you've experienced uh, transitioning into the role. Of course, you worked for the comptroller for a long time. That is comptroller Peter Francho. And you ran for office. This was your, not your first time, because you were in elected office down in the University of Maryland. Yeah. You were the student president, right? Yeah, I was student body president of the University of Maryland. I student body president of the High School, where I just gave that commencement address. Why don't we start talking about that? Um, and then we'll we'll go backwards into um, the first six months, and we'll talk about the budget and maybe some transportation issues and uh, getting acclimated on the council. But you you recently had the opportunity to go back to your high school, which I would imagine to be just a real honor for you. I, whenever I go back, I, I I love to see my teachers and um, you know the the staff there. A lot of them have gone, but how was that for you? What was that like? there. Uh, this is the first year that she hasn't been there, but she was at graduation, which was great. And the new principal, uh, Brandy Hecker, uh, invited me uh, along with the committee. And it was, it was amazing. It was uh, writing it and offering it to, to be there. Uh, it was just a really special moment for me. And I think just in general, being part of a day, a small part in this case, of a day that is one of the most important days in other people's lives. That's right. Exciting and invigorating opportunity, and to be able to do it at your alma 
because so much of my personal journey began as just a great thrill, and it's one of the reasons why it's so exciting to run for office and now represent the only place I've ever called home. Yeah, what was some of the excerpts from the speech? What did you? Um, what was your message to the the graduating students who are soon matriculating into college or to a career or a trade school? Yeah, the overarching message was to focus on goodness over greatness. That being great is an outcome. Being good is a choice, and you can make that choice every day to to be good and to see good in yourself and in others. And starting with being good to yourself. Yeah. And then being good to your family and your friends, and then being good to everybody around you. And I tried to, you know, focus on the fact that at a at a high school like Churchill, that's very competitive and an excellent school, uh, that uh, there is a tendency to try to compete with everybody around you rather than try to build camaraderie with that. Uh, and it's not just in high school; it's everywhere. It's in the social media world of Facebook and Twitter, Snapchat, uh, and Instagram, where we are often competing over moments rather than sharing in the moments. We are focusing on having moments for others to see rather than being in the moment ourselves. And so I I really tried to to leave that message with them that ultimately it won't be the resume bullets that they try to create or the LinkedIn profile that they uh, have, which is very similar to what they've been focused on, which is a college application that they have been told is a formula of exactly what it's supposed to look like and uh, what they're supposed to uh, to be. It's more about what they are than who they are and to focus on who they are and uh, to focus on the people around them and uh, to, to make the choice every day to, to be good, a good person, a good colleague, a good friend. A lot of students in Montgomery County will go off and leave the the county, and sometimes they don't come back. And it's it's encouraging when, like you, you went to the University of Maryland, and then you came, you actually you came back to serve the community, as you said, where you were the only place you know that is home. And that's kind of cool. Um, that's I, I like to see when people come back, and there's so much opportunity. In Montgomery County, really. I mean, there's. you think about we have a, um, an explosion of job opportunities from, from tech um, to, to business opportunities down in Bethesda. And as a member of the council, you get to be part of tweaking that process and ensuring that students get the best education, working alongside MCPS. And I imagine that was a, bright, a very bright day for you and for the students and um of course, you went to University of Maryland, and do you think that in your college years, uh, or rather in your high school years at Churchill, Andrew, that, that there was something that blossomed in you that you decided, I think this public service thing is really how I want to approach my life and frame it? Oh, wow. Wayside, uh, down the road from where I grew up, and uh, that's really where the calling for me began. I was advocating for safer bus routes in fifth grade and uh, <laughs> realized that it doesn't matter who you are or uh, where you are. If you see something that you don't like, you should say something. If there's an opportunity to change things for the better, if there's an opportunity to advocate for people around you, you should. And that has always kind of been a, a, a burning feeling inside of me and something that I have continued to harness. I never really 
set out necessarily to run for elected office. I think others around me probably thought that this was going to happen and nothing. And they turned out to be right, but I never really viewed it that way. I never viewed it as uh, in each opportunity that I saw a way to serve. I tried to do so, and that was in formal ways through my career choices and informal ways through just uh, everyday activities and uh, through volunteer opportunities, which I tried to stay very involved in local issues prior to being a council chair of the Collaboration Council for Children and Youth Families in the county, which just barriers children and youth issues. And so uh, this is just uh, something that, that for me is just a profound honor and a profound privilege to be able to serve this community where I grew up to be able to give back to a place that's given me so much. And I have been incredibly fortunate uh, in so many ways. And the school that I, uh, the schools that I attended and uh, the amazing public education that, that, that we had and the community that I was raised in and the public facilities and rec centers and uh, other areas and the youth uh, sports and activities I was able to participate in because of this a wonderful community because of the extraordinary family that I have, and it's the other thing that makes this really special. Like, I live walking distance to two of my three siblings, and oh, that's my, nice. my third sibling uh, lives walking distance to my parents, right across hmm. Falls Road in the house that I grew up in. And my eight nieces and nephews all live uh, extremely close, all live in District 1, and that is just a really cool feeling. I joke around that they're future District 1 voters. Term limits on the county council may restrict them from uh, quite being eligible to vote because the oldest is in first grade, but uh, it is uh, a really cool feeling and an extraordinary opportunity. It's something that I don't take lightly, and I try to uh, make sure that I am uh, putting forth the effort that is deserving of such a, a great privilege that I have to serve. You were sworn in back in December of last year, and you're approaching the it's yeah, a six month mark. So that's a that's a benchmark, and it's a good way. It's it's a good hard number to assess the progress. And there's been lots of transition in those last six months from Ike Leggett's administration to Mark Elridge's administration to I believe there's four new members of the the county council, yourself included, as well as. Um, Let's see, who else is new? Will Juwando is new, and, uh, well, Hans, Hans was re-elected. Yeah, um, Gabe Albernaz yeah, and Evan Glass. So there's three, wait, wait. Three. Oh, no, this is four. I can't count today. Okay, four new members. Um, so let's talk about your transition to becoming an elected official, to serving your district. Um, what, what was that like? What was that process like? Um, in getting acclimated to, to the role the first couple months? You know, I think the biggest thing for me is government isn't new to me, public service isn't new to me. I've spent my whole career uh, in this field, in and around these issues, and uh, working uh, at, at, in this area. And the community, obviously, as we just talked about, isn't new to me. The job is, and being elected office is. And you know, I started uh, my interaction with politics, so to speak, at a very young age as an advocate, and I've continued to be an advocate at various uh, points in my career, uh, and then I was an advisor, as you mentioned, for the Comptroller. I was also an administrator. I ran the 529 College Savings Program, uh, oversaw the uh, transition of uh, leadership and complete uh, reorganization and structuring of that $6 billion program, helped to launch a statewide disability savings program. 
So in those roles as an advisor and administrator, they were great. And I learned a tremendous about, um, amount of uh, information, of knowledge, of, uh, of experience. But uh, in my heart of hearts from the beginning, from why I got into this and how I got into this and how I continue to be in this, what gets me up every morning, what gets me excited, what uh, makes me want to continue to serve is to be an advocate, to uh, fight for people, to push for change, and uh, that's what is amazing about being in an elected office. Ultimately, it's up to you to advocate for those who need help to be able to, to, to do it. And I do this job as I'm a legislator second, I'm a problem solver first. You don't always have to pass a bill to fix a pothole. <laughs> to solve a constituent issue, and so that's really what we focused on, the quality of life issues, the everyday challenges that, uh, that our residents are facing. I think it's a world-class constituent service that District 1 residents expect and deserve. They pay high taxes, mm-hmm. they have extremely high cost of living here. Uh, we need to address that too, but in the meantime, we need to make sure that we are providing the type of services that are, uh, are appropriate for and, and making sure that people feel like they're getting a value to live in this community, which is amazing. There's a reason why I stayed here. There's a reason why my parents stayed here when they uh, grew up. There's a reason why my siblings and uh, their families uh, are still here because this is just a great uh, community. And it's, it's really interesting. You know, in, in Poolsville and mm-hmm. uh, which is such a special place. And uh, I think one of the most important land use decisions made anywhere in America in 1980 when we designated one-third of the county to stay as agriculture and make sure we maintain that agricultural heritage and make sure that we focus um, our development in areas that are most appropriate with infrastructure. And uh, we were at the forefront of the smart growth movement in that regard. And we were ahead of the game now, farm to table and, and farm to counter and uh, CSAs and other uh, other areas uh, are all in in Vogue, uh, we were there first, and we need to continue that leadership that we have historically uh, had, but to represent a place with Bethesda uh, and, uh, and the Pike District and Kensington and Potomac and old neighborhoods and new neighborhoods and, uh, and, and, and as well as, as Poolsville all along uh, the river. I mean, I don't know that many people who run an elected office get to represent their hometown <laughs> and uh, get to represent their entire family and also get to represent a district that is geographically as diverse as ours is. You were assigned a committee, of course, when you uh, were two committees when you joined the council. Um, talk about those. What are you? Uh, what is your area of expertise and focus on the with the with the council? Yeah, well, I'll stay away from my area of expertise since uh, I don't necessarily have You're jack of all trades. <laughs> do, and, and I guess that's how you make up for not being a subject matter uh, that you have to put in extra time, but um, two committees are planning, housing, and economic development. That's at the heart of what the council does in terms of land use, in terms of our affordable housing challenge that we face and cost of living challenges that we face, workforce development, and economic development. So I think that, that is such an important part of why I ran making sure that we maintain the high quality of life, the high level of services, that we attract new people and new businesses to Montgomery County to keep up with the quality of life 
for existing residents and make sure that the great county that many of us have been uh, accustomed to and have benefited from is expanded to, to others. And the other committee is government operations and fiscal policy. And uh, that speaks to the other aspect of building a sustainable future. One is the livable, walkable, accessible communities, the modern uh, types of housing and other uh, areas and workforce development and talent pipeline that we need. Uh, and the other is to make sure that we have the uh, county government and services that our residents expect and deserve. And uh, making sure that we're spending their taxpayer dollars as efficiently, effectively, and responsibly as possible. And, you know, that brings in some of my background at the state level, working for the comptroller, advising at the Board of Public Works, which is kind of the epicenter of state finance and procurement. Um, also, the advising on the 50 plus billion dollar pension system, the 529 program, dealing with the capital debt affordability committee, and some of those other uh, areas, the revenue estimates, the you know, small business development financing authority. So, I, I think it's a really good balance for me. Uh, how do we grow the economy, which we ultimately have to do. Unless we grow the economy, we won't have the revenues to support the services that we need to keep up with the quality of life, our high level of public services, and the fact that we take care of people who, uh, who need help, which is always what we've done in Montgomery County. But then once we grow those revenues, making sure that we're investing them in the most uh, efficient way possible, making sure that we're you know, getting uh, a dollar at, at 80 cents, so to speak. Yeah. Speaking of money, just finished the budget process. Uh, grueling. I, I've seen numerous emails, and I've seen I have uh, followed that process pretty closely. Um, gotten all the press updates from each member of the county council, yourself included. And by the way, you, uh, if for those who are listening, they're not subscribed to your newsletter. Make sure you subscribe. That's I get a lot of my information from that. Um, many of us, I, I can't always watch the meetings. And as much as I would want to and see the work sessions, Andrew, the, the newsletters that the individual council members send out really do highlight what you cover, mostly week to week. And that's, that's really important. It's a lot of information. Let's talk about the budget process. Where did it even begin? Um, $5.2 billion. $5.8 billion. Why did I think two? Hmm. I don't know why. Tell me what that was, the, how, how the process was able, you were able to, to, to come up with the priorities. Um, I'm interested in what you brought from the, the first district, from your constituents to that process, because that's always the most intense process of, I think, governing, is deciding where you're going to spend money, what issues that you're going to tackle and put uh, front and center. So what was that? process like in a, a very broad sense? It was a great process uh, for me to learn quite a bit. Um, you know, I've been around budgets for a while, and I've uh, been around the budget process for a while. Yeah, you work for the state's tax collector. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the county's process is different. And, you know, it's just like going to any new organization, you have to learn, the, I would call them the institutional peculiarities of uh, that new organization and there's a lot at stake, right? With five point eight billion dollars of taxpayer money with all the priorities that we have. And so I tried to make sure that I was in a position to hit the ground running. But having the background that I had developed from my previous professional life coming to the county, having run large government agencies and reorganize and restructure them, having dealt with budget processes and public finance the way that I had, I think I had a leg up from a, you know, from a normal 
new member's perspective, and so I was able to, I hope, utilize that background to the best that I could. And we had some real serious budget wins. Uh, first off, you know, council-wide, there was widespread interest to fix what we perceived as a major challenge in the budget, three areas. One, fully funding public schools. The budget we originally received did not fully fund public schools. We fixed that. that was, you, know, you received the budget, of, the budget, of course, from the county executive. Correct. And uh, the second, which is uh, similarly important, was the college was not fully funded, which is one of our single most important economic development, workforce development assets that we have in the county. We are no longer in a position where we can talk about K-12 education exclusively. We have to talk about it as you know, cradle to career, early childhood through career. Education, and you know, we did uh, part of this budget is a, uh, a, a deal that uh, was struck for seven million dollars in additional funding for early childhood, which is terrific, a good down payment on what we need to do, which is much more. Um, but not funding the college would have been a significant, significant challenge moving forward to be able to connect our talent pipeline from the education system and MCPS to the careers that they need and to the businesses that we need to grow and to grow that private sector economy that is so important to getting us to where uh, we need to be. And then the additional piece was the uh, what's called the DD supplement, the Developmental Disability Supplement. This is a supplement that we pay that offsets the increased cost of, of wages and, and living and uh, for talent in Montgomery County as opposed to the rest of the state. And so we pay a, since the 1970s, we've been paying a supplement to offset that. That supplement was underfunded by about $1.8 million. We uh, put that back in. So we started this budget by putting in a good amount of money uh, in addition to it. There was widespread agreement on that, so that was uh, a real positive. We heard a, a massive amount of input from resident stakeholders, including many in District 1, who felt very strongly about those elements. So that became kind of the core of uh, what the council really focused on, and I think there was universal consensus among the colleagues that we needed to fix those things uh, in the budget, and then everybody had their own priorities. I was really proud of the fact that we got $5 million additional dollars into the Housing Initiatives Fund, which put us on par with what we did last year. The proposed budget by the county executive had $5 million less than what we did in fiscal year 19 for fiscal year 20. I don't think they're taking a step backwards in our affordable housing crisis is you call it a crisis. It is a crisis. Is it is it a crisis all over Montgomery County or in specific pockets and communities? Or? Well, I think it's all over Montgomery County. It's a crisis. It's particularly acute in certain areas over others. But the bottom line is we're not building enough housing. And some of that is government and the investment that we make through the Housing Initiatives Fund. But we can't do this with government alone. We can't even come close. Mm-hmm. I don't want to backtrack from our commitment from the public sector, but the bottom line is we need the private sector to be growing and we need housing to increase to keep up with the needs. Just to give you a sense, 55% of our housing stock was built before 1950. Wow. 14%. Only 14% was built after 2000. So that leads to the challenges that we have where if you're, you know, this is the basic tenets of supply and demand. And demand is increasing and supply is restricted, which we have historically restricted the supply of housing. We're building about half of the housing that we used to build. That is a is, is a problem. Unless we can 
maintain uh, what we need in order to keep up with those challenges. The housing costs are going to continue to skyrocket. We're going to continue to price people out. And that is an equity issue. That is a fairness issue. That is an economic development uh, issue. Uh, as much as anything, I talk to employers all the time who tell me and tell others that one of the challenges that they have, one of the biggest challenges that they have, is that they can't pay people enough who can afford to live anywhere close <laughs> to where they work, yeah. which is you know, just a huge challenge. And so, uh, you know, that five million dollars to at least keep pace with where we've been, which is a huge investment, uh, is critical uh, to what we need to do. But we also, you know, it's not just about, like I said, public investment alone. We need to be committed to building more housing. And we need to do it in a thoughtful way. We need to do it in a reasonable way. But we need to do it. And we need to be serious about it. And we can't allow those who have suggested that we have built enough housing. We don't need more housing. But to be frank with you, that's our own version of a law mm. in Montgomery mm. County. If we don't build enough housing, if we don't build new housing, and we aren't allowing new housing to come, uh, to, to come online, that is our local government version of building a law saying that we don't want new residents here. And just like an immigration challenge at the federal level, which undermines Americans, although some Americans don't think that, mm -hmm. don't believe that, unless we are getting younger, unless we are getting new energy, unless we are you know, continuing on the path that we have always uh, continued to have people from all over the world who want a better life, who want to bring their talents here, who want to bring their energy here. Uh, the same thing is true in the county at a different level, but the same thing is true. Unless we are attracting new residents, attracting new businesses, unless we are growing uh, and getting younger, we are going to either have to sacrifice the quality of services, the quality of life, or our taxes are going to get away. Back in, uh, earlier this year, I, I don't remember the specific month, but of course the, the, the Sage Policy Group released a study that said that Montgomery County wasn't necessarily on the right fiscal and economic track. They're not growing enough businesses. Businesses are not coming to locate their 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 services in this in our communities. Um, we have a transportation problem which we can talk about. What did you make of that study? Did you did you support that or did you have some concerns? I know some of the members of the council rejected the study and and said that they acknowledged that we have issues but didn't necessarily put some faith into that particular study. What do you what do you think about that, Andrew? Well I think some of my colleagues have rightfully questioned and challenged individual aspects of the study, individual trees. And I think there's reasonable arguments to be made uh, about what data was selected and whether or not uh, it was totally you know individual aspects are totally uh, fair, whether there's a counterpoint to some of the points that we I think that misses the point. It's not about the trees, it's about the and the forest is totally true that we are not growing an economy that can sustain currently. And we need to grow private sector investment. And unless we do that, unless we grow our tax base, we're going to have to either grow our tax rates or grow up our services. It's just simple math. And that is the part that I would caution others. I would caution, on the one hand, getting too obsessive with one individual data point lots of data points that can say lots of things and you can put them together to create lots of stories. Uh, but the broader context is, is the economy growing at the rate that we need it to grow? 
Are we keeping up? Are we keeping pace? Are the revenues being maintained in a way that can sustain our county budget, that can sustain our county services, and that can continue to grow businesses, have a robust education system, have a, uh, an appropriate transportation network, and a modern transportation network, and create the, uh, the livable, accessible communities that everybody wants? And the answer is no, it, not to the extent that we all would want. And I think there is widespread recognition of that. The question is how do we move forward? But I, I, I just, it always frustrates me a little bit when we get so caught up in the weeds to say, what well, you know, we're not going to argue over a specific data point in a specific report and not focus on the, the broader message that it's sending, which is absolutely what we should be focused relentlessly on, which is growing our private sector economy to keep up with Yeah. Um having a front row seat to the county's pol- politics, the political structure. And thinking about your district, Andrew, it's very widespread. It's diverse. Uh, you represent up county and down county, and you have the best of both worlds. So a lot of discussion around up county needs versus down county needs and a sort of dichotomy that um, people perceive that exists, that down county needs are sometimes more highlighted, that they're prioritized or emphasized by, say, the county executive or certain members of the council over people who live north of 370. I live in Gaithersburg, and there's a lot of issues that are happening that you are clearly astutely aware of that happens right here in communities like Polesville or Clarksburg, um, Boyd's. Um, Do you see that dichotomy existing where there's... um, a disparity between the, the the needs to be addressed down county versus here in, in up county. I think that's fair. So that is, uh, to me, what I operate on. And that's why, during the budget process, 
exporting affordable housing and housing initiatives fund, which is probably more of an acute issue in the down county, given the housing costs than it is in the up county, and I think it's a problem everywhere. But road resurfacing, which is something that we've pushed for, is something that affects everybody. That is a core function of quality of life. Uh, I focus a lot on pedestrian safety, which is more of a down county uh, issue, although uh, it's an issue everywhere. Um, and, and, uh, but we also, uh, I was a huge advocate for our agricultural community, I continue to be a huge advocate for our agricultural community. We uh, work with Councilman Jolando, Councilman Rice, we uh, put back ag in the classroom, those cuts to have a critical program to make sure our uh, students in Macomb County Public Schools are getting the uh, access to agricultural education that I think that they need. We also uh, proposed, based on my recommendation, that uh, went through a Mm -hmm. People don't often think, I, I want to say that, make the point that people often outside of Montgomery County don't necessarily view Montgomery County as a, a strong ag community, but we are, we really are, especially in this region and the, the further north that you go. Yeah, 500, I mean, and, and I grew up in Washington County, so, and we have hundreds of farms and my family were farmers. I know how important agriculture is, but you represent a district that includes many of those, uh, the, the farming region, of course, the ag reserve too. So that's, that's an often untouched point that I think that needs to be addressed further is the needs of our ag community and students who in Montgomery County Public Schools too want to approach a career in agriculture as well. And there's a lot of fruitful opportunities here in this, in, in all over, and especially in the northern portion of this, of this county. switch directions and I want to get a comment from you in the news recently has been the subject of Montgomery County Police Will Jawando has been really working the, the community policing the overhauling policing in a way that is more transparent you you obviously I read a story recently about the council will receive the, the video from the incident where there was a, a racial incident um, between police officers and African American men. What, what what do you what happened there, and what what is your perspective on that? There's absolutely no condoning 
Yeah, we're talking about a female police officer who used the N-word. just like we don't want to use a broad brush and characterize anybody in any group in any way, which is uh, beyond what we should be doing. We should be treating human beings as human beings, period. Um, I also think that we have a great number of police officers who do their best, who work really hard, who certainly come with their own biases and their own challenges and live in a world that unfortunately we have to admit has racial challenges. Yeah. And, uh, and we need to address those and we need to be serious about those and we need to be deliberate about those and we cannot, when these issues happen, allow for any level of, uh, of acceptance of that type of behavior, not just when a racial epithet is used but when behavior is targeted towards uh, specific things. And that's why we need transparency, and that's why we need uh, accountability. I supported Will's bill, the uh, Trust and Transparency uh, Act, and the Law Enforcement uh, Trust and Transparency Act. It got universal support from uh, the council, and we passed it. I think it's a step in the right direction. There was just a forum, I believe. Yeah, the new, obviously, that's a big issue. Yeah, so that's really my focus, and I think it should be all of our focus, is to really make sure that this police chief search and this process is dead set on ensuring that we have the type of police force that we want and that we expect, and that reflects our values, and that reflects the type of community that we have and that we strive to be. Have you seen the body cam footage yet? Yes. Okay. And I don't know if that's been released yet to the public. I, I don't. Um, and just by the tone of your voice, by the your reaction, um, it looks like that it was. It's a very serious incident. It and as you said, police officers are in a position of trust, and when that trust breaks down, especially someone who is responsible for upholding and protecting the law carrying a firearm, having daily interactions with people of all different uh, colors and cultures and ethnicities, there has to be zero tolerance for that. It just cannot happen. And when we lose faith in people who serve and protect us and who are deputized to, to, to uphold our public safety, if that breaks down, then the community, in a sense, breaks down. And that's that's problematic, but um, I appreciate that approach, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you so thoroughly addressed that. Um, 
Another issue that has been a major topic, transportation, um, recognizing first and foremost that we have a traffic problem in Montgomery County between 270 and the Capitol Beltway on 495. The Board of Public Works meeting on Wednesday, the two-to-one vote designated Governor Hogan's plan, his P3 plan, um, as a public-private partnership. And the on Monday of this week, Tom Hucker, um, the county executive Mark Elrich, was joined by many of the uh, many county officials, um, not only from Montgomery, but from other municipalities and jurisdictions. Uh, Frederick County Councilman came down, and the in uh, Prince George's County Councilman came over in Silver Spring at a park to talk about their transportation plan. So there's a lot of ideas in the works. Recognizing first and foremost is that we have a problem. We can't solve the problem until we recognize that we have one. And there's many different priorities and solutions. But, Andrew, we know that people sit in traffic all day long in Montgomery County, and there's an opportunity for increased transit. I like the idea for the monorail. That's something to study. That's unique. It's it's fascinating concept. So what do you make of um, the some of the plans that are on the table now, Governor Hogan's plan specifically, and do you are you backing Councilman Hucker and the other members of the council on their the priorities that they released, the seven-point plan from um, earlier this week on Monday? So I agree with you that we need to talk about it as the transportation. That's really what the issue is. It's not just a traffic problem. It's a transportation network problem. How do we get Specifically to what happened on Wednesday, I think it is um, absolutely the case that we are in a better place today than we were before the meeting on Wednesday. Not exactly where we want to be. But there was some compromise there. And the comptroller, of course, who represents the taxpayers, part of that three-member board, took so much input from people. He went around and listened to a lot of people, and, and I know he read plenty of studies. And... Going into the meeting, nobody was sure what he was going to do, and having worked for him, and right. So, the, it's always funny. Lynn Foxwell, his chief of staff, said, "Look, in the 13 years that I've been with the comptroller, not once have I known how he was going to go go into a vote and how he was going to come out of it." So, well, I can attest to that. <laughs> that's a fair statement. Popularity, and that's the reason why uh, he uh, has done as well as he's done. I think he deserves credit. I think that he uh, helped move us in a better direction than we were. I think his amendments were helpful. Um, and he got some assurances out of that as well. Pardon? He got some verbal assurances from MDOT and from Pete Ron, the Secretary of Transportation, that weren't on the table. Phasing was another huge priority for us. We wanted the American Legion Bridge 
the western portion of 270 to the spur up, uh, or excuse me, at 495 to, to the 270 spur, and then up 270, we would like past 370 to Frederick, which you know, I think is part of the you know, main challenge of what is creating a choke to the transportation network. And we didn't exactly get there, but we got closer. Uh, the, uh, I'm still a little bit puzzled by the American Legion Bridge being left out of phase one. I, I, that's uh, something I'd... I clarify that with the uh, yeah. Several uh, of us are going to continue to... Push hard, Andrew, because we know that crossing that bridge, no pun intended, is is a problem. That, that traffic backs up f- literally four miles past that bridge, and that... There's the the assumption that uh, it needs to be widened, which I can support that assumption and the data, um, but something needs to be done because that is the that is the pivotal point. I mean, I, that's the valve that is that needs to be fixed, and it's clogged. I mean, it's a it's a clogged artery in this traffic system. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's actually universal consensus on that, uh, and, and that's what is a little bit puzzling. That's right. We can clarify that and, and, and resolve that. I think truly, I don't just say this, I, I mean it, and I try not to say things I don't mean, uh, but I think that's an area where we can clarify and we can work out because I do think that there is consensus on that. In that point, I think there might have just been some confusion with everything going on and different proposals happening and, uh, that sometimes something gets lost in the shuffle. I'm hopeful that we can get that fixed. Ultimately, for us, I'd love to have 270 all the way to Frederick uh, addressed. I think that that is a huge challenge and a huge issue, and where the lines reduce, uh, it creates a, a choke point that is not reflective. And I think the important aspect here is it's not to create new sprawl developments, which I do not support. It's to create connectivity to communities we've already built, we've already allowed, and we haven't uh, created the infrastructure to support the growth that we've already placed there. And as long as transit is a part of it, then I think that that's important. I also, you know, separate from this, I am still continue to be a big proponent of market expansion. You know, having a single seat trip from Montgomery County, north of Montgomery County, to National Landing, where Amazon is going to spur a tremendous amount of private sector growth and jobs, that single seat trip would be transformational for our economy. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, this is a $10 billion or $11 billion project, and I'm not really sure exactly what it's going to be, uh, but I'm hopeful that we don't lose sight of that opportunity as well, because I don't think that there is anything else that we could do that would connect us to the Amazon deal and create the regional connectivity of our transportation network in a way that that mark train uh, would be. And then, you know, I think the other assurance that the comptroller got uh, at the Board of Public Works meeting that's really important is making sure that there's no property taking, private property or parkland until they come back and to an, the board in a public yeah. way, in a transparent way. And, and that's been a big concern. That's, that's a big concern for people who live in your district and who are down county, who have talked about Governor Hogan saying that there could be potentially uh, houses taken for the widening, and then I believe he reversed that position and said no houses would be taken. And that's a fair point. And it's a fair point, you know, to say what is it, Governor? You know, is it this or that? Because we're hearing two different, two different things. And um, P- 
people don't want their homes taken by eminent domain. I'll say that again. People don't want their homes taken by eminent domain. And I think it's also fair to say that um, the widening roads, there's a very, very logical case to make on induced demand. And I also think that people are discouraged by the tolls that were added in Northern Virginia, where it's upwards of sometimes on 66 going into D.C., what, $40, $50. Now, the governor did say the other day that there's absolutely no way that's going to happen, but we need that assurance, right? Trust but verify. Trust but verify. I mean, what do you think? Widening widening roads and adding, people call them Lexus lanes. I I mean, I, I I wouldn't go to that extent, but people don't want to pay for tolls. We have to get out of this fall. Reality, it was both. But yeah, the reality is modern transit largely, frequently, is bus. Mm-hmm. And buses ride on roads. And so I am, I am okay with thoughtful expansions as long as it is focused on accommodating a more developed transit network. And having rapid bus as part of this plan to get folks quickly from Frederick or from Northern Montgomery County down to 70 or to Virginia makes sense and 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 I think would be utilized. We can't pave our way to the solution exclusively. That's just never going to work. Not only do we have an environmental crisis that we are dealing with and we need to t- do our part uh, in that, but it just practically mm. Were you concerned that the environmental study was not completed uh, before they had this this vote? That was brought up many times. Yeah, I think the preference would be that the environmental study had occurred first. I think the idea is the NEPA review, which the environmental study is part of, would help to ensure we have a full understanding of the scope of the so that way, if you know exactly what the problem is, you then can go to the street in the private market to find out what the solutions look like. In this case, we're going to find out who's interested and what that interest looks like. They won't have a full understanding of what the full scope of the problem is. And so, yeah, my preference would have been, and many other preferences would have been, to do the environmental study first to really understand a full picture, you know, let's, let's figure out what the problem is, then let's go out and look for solutions as opposed to let's find the solutions and then back in the problem. I think uh, that would be the preference. That's not where we're at now, but I am appreciative of the fact that the middle ground that was reached, while not as much as we would have hoped, uh, is better than where we were, uh, that the controller had proposed, that they can't begin any property taking. They can't move forward with any uh, efforts that can't be undone until the NEPA review process and until the environmental impact is done. So, not exactly what we had hoped for, but better than where uh, we were. And you know, I'm a person who likes to find compromise. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that we need to continue to, to move forward. I think, you know, the, obviously, the American Legion Bridge is the big piece here that we have to figure out and we have to see if we can work through. Like I said, I think there's consensus on that. We just have to get the political will to go back and clarify that in a formal way. We still have a challenge with uh, property taking, and that is going to be a big issue, and we still have a challenge with 
the eastern portion past the spur on 495, which always was going to be the problem. And that's why I think that the phasing makes much more sense now. We can move forward with something that there is general agreement on. We desperately in Montgomery County wanted to have a solution to our transportation network. And the 270 piece is the less controversial. It, you know, there's less, pro- you know, the, the, the property impacts are much less significant. And so uh, let's move forward where we can. Let's figure out what it looks like. Let's separate this out, which is what we have asked for from the beginning. Now we're closer to that point. And then figure out where it takes us. Mm-hmm. The, the, the 495 piece is going to be difficult. The taking of parkland, the taking of private businesses and private properties, uh, residences, is uh, going to be a challenge. And I, I don't know that we're going to be able to get around it anytime soon. And so uh, rather than continuing to fight over that, this allows for the less controversial and the area of the project that has more consensus to start to move, to find out what the private sector actually is willing to do. And there's only a couple businesses in the world that are going to bid on this. That's right. I mean, it's a very limited marketplace, and I looked at who can possibly do it, and you're right. When you say a couple, I mean, that's the perfect adjective, I mean, because that's, there's only certain, you know, what, a handful. Yeah, there's three, maybe four, and one has already said they don't want to do it. You're talking about two, so it's a limited market place already, uh, so we have to find out what the private market is even willing to do. We're, you know, nothing is moving forward uh, in terms of shovels right. and ground, in terms of environmental... Impact. It's all going to go back to the legislature. It's going to go so, back to yeah, so I'm, I'm the public works for it. At least, you know, in a closer place to a consensus than we were uh, earlier this yeah. week, and I hope that we can move forward, and I hope that we can... Uh, you know, the, one of the main uh, challenges in the way that it was uh, written... Uh, that some of us had concerns about, including the treasurer who raised this, uh, was whether or not we'd still be able to do our own local priorities, like bus rapid transit, uh, and whether or not that would be considered uh, in competition and would somehow violate uh, a public-private partnership. That obviously would be a total non-starter for us to not be able to do our own uh, support. Uh, we got the assurance at that meeting publicly that that is not the case, and so uh, that is a positive as well. So let's talk very briefly, and then we'll wrap up. The what are your focuses, or what are you going to be focusing on for the next six months as a as a councilman? Well, I have two bills uh, currently. One is a bill along with my colleagues, the council president and vice president, and the three of us make up the audit committee, and that's for oversight. Uh, I think that oversight is one of the core functions of any legislative branch, and uh, this county council we do land use also as a local government. Uh, but you pass a budget, we just did that, uh, you uh, provide oversight for that budget, and in our case, we do land use. Uh, everything else uh, uh, is a bonus, and I'm all for doing other things, but we got to focus on food, shelter, and clothing first, and uh, this would really ramp up our oversight and really take the responsibility of oversight and uh, focus it where I believe it should be, which is in the legislative branch, uh, which is... Uh, should be, and we're the ones who are passing the budget, we're the ones who should make sure the money is being spent efficiently, effectively, and appropriately. And so this would, uh, among other things, create a uh, regular review of all of the uh, county agencies and departments uh, to provide an extra layer uh, of oversight in an independent agency, and that would report ultimately to the legislative branch, which I think is 
second bill was a bill that I put in uh, uh, and it was something that I, it was one of those weird things. I said I was going to do it on the campaign trail and now I'm doing it in office. I know that doesn't happen very often <laughs> in politics and so I, people are trying to wrap their heads around it. And, uh, but um, it's an economic impact statement on all legislation that is uh, serious and is strengthened and actually says something about it. My view is we should be able to pass anything that we want. We are the duly rep elected representatives of the people, but uh, we ought to have all the facts when we do it, and we ought to do it in a transparent and accountable way. And we can't just talk about the budget impact of legislation and the policy proposals to the county budget. We should be talking about the budget impact to Montgomery County residents, to Montgomery County businesses, the real economy. separate from the folks who are proposing the bills, separate from uh, the executive branch that's going to put those bills into practice and ask for what the impact will be on the economy and the county on our residents and our businesses. I think it's a step in the right direction to make sure as we try to grow our economy, as we try to focus on our reputation for business friendliness, that we are serious about this and that we codify it into law to say that Andrew, where can people find you or get in contact you if they have an issue? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can call anytime, 240-777-7828. You can email us at councilmember.freedson, F-R-I-E-D-S-O-N, at montgomerycountymd.gov. And you can check us out on Facebook, Councilmember Andrew Freedson, and Instagram, Councilmember Andrew Friedson, and on Twitter, Andrew underscore Friedson. You got that down. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot of places, and people hang out on social media, and that's the way to go. Yeah, and then the other uh, is, uh, if you check those out, you'll see uh, we've really focused on bringing the council to the community. I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't have to come to the council to meet your council member. And so we have Fridays with Friedson, where we're regularly at local coffee shops. We're actually just down the street. Uh, at a coffee shop here in the place where we go to different places mm -hmm. around the district on Friday mornings from 8 to 9.30. And That's great. Check out that opportunity. And then we have uh, community conversations, which are uh, town halls, uh, which we do all, all around uh, as well and have had great crowds. We've really had substantive conversations and learned a great deal. And it really reflects the fact that my focus the first six months will be my focus the next six months and every six months after that is on constituent services and making sure that we're providing the world-class service that residents expect, I believe they deserve, and I think that's why I was elected to do this job. It's not to pass bills, it's to solve It's all about customer service. Absolutely. Councilman Andrew Friedson from Montgomery County's 1st District, thank you for coming on. Appreciate thank it. So all right, man. Thank you. Another great episode on the books. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to visit a minordetailpodcast.com for the latest podcast episodes and updates. Please subscribe to a minor detail podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Castbox, Stitcher, or any platform where you listen and download your podcast episodes. Check out a minordetail.com and subscribe to the daily newsletter for the latest Maryland news and politics. My name is Ryan Miner. Thank you so much for listening.